0: Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ian. Welcome to St Saviour's. Um, I'm a member of the church here. I'm very excited today to preach on the second part of the book of Acts. As I was praying into what I felt God wanted me to preach on today out of the second part of Acts, it was quite clear he wanted me to preach from two pieces of scripture today, which I believe the first leads into the second extremely well. So the first scriptures today, the first one, Acts 19, verses 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your minds only? Or did you also embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? So this was the Apostle Paul speaking to some of the disciples when he arrived in Ephesus. And the second scripture is Acts 26, verse 17 to 18. I am sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light, see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I am sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. This is what Jesus said to Paul when he revealed himself to Paul for the first time on the road to Damascus. And in this scripture, Paul is standing trial before King Agrippa and proclaiming the, good, um, the gospel and the good news of Jesus. He was so sure and confident that Jesus is the son of God that he also wanted to tra- uh, stand trial before Caesar himself. So before I move on to what I think God wants us to take away from today, I just want to give a brief background of who Paul was before he met with Jesus and who he was after he met with Jesus me personally it blows me on how Jesus turned his life completely around and used him for his kingdom. As some of you might know Paul was a devout Jew and a Pharisee who were part of the very same group of people responsible for Jesus' death on the cross. At that point after Jesus died on the cross Paul hated Christians and the disciples of Jesus so much that he tried his best to wipe them all out and have them killed so the good news of Jesus couldn't be preached throughout the whole world. So can we all agree at this point in, uh, in Paul's life that he wasn't a nice man, especially to the followers of Jesus? But Jesus had other plans. He not only received himself personally, um, but revealed himself personally to Paul on the road to Damascus, he completely turned his life around and used Paul, yes, Paul, who hated Christians and wanted them killed to then become a follower of Jesus himself and used him to go out in the whole world proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again, from the dead from our sins so that anyone who puts their trust in him will also be raised from the dead and spend eternity with him forever after they die in heaven he did this from the very first christian church in antioch in turkey where people were called christians for the very first time that is a hope we still have today like in this church radically radically transforming lives in the love and the power of jesus okay so this is what i feel god wants us to take away from today God wants us to change the world in the power of his Holy Spirit. And the following three points I believe is an outline for us, not only as individuals, but as a church to enable this to happen. Number one, believe in the Lord Jesus that he is the Son of God. Number two, receive the Holy Spirit. Number three, retrieve the lost to God's kingdom. So why does God want us to change the world and for what reason? Why do we need to do it in the power of his Holy Spirit? We've just seen in the read scripture clip earlier, that's exactly how the first Christian church started in proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the whole world. They believed that the Lord Jesus was the Son of God. They received the Holy Spirit, and from that, they were fully equipped by God to retrieve the lost. One of the reasons I think he chose Paul is that God is basically saying to us that if he can use Paul considering his past history, no matter what has gone on in your life, in your past, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can still change the world through us today. And the piece of scripture I feel emphasises this so well is the following. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, come back to God. Why do we need to be reconciled to God? Why do we need to come back to God? Who are we appealing to and why? As you can appreciate, this is the underpinning of the whole Christian faith, so no pressure, Ian. I'd like to now unpack my three points for today, which I feel answers these questions so clearly. So, one, believe in the Lord Jesus, that He is the Son of God. Two, receive His Holy Spirit. Number three, retrieve the lost for God's kingdom. I'd like to start by asking you all a question about the following three things. In the world we live in today, can we all agree the following? Good and evil, love and hate, light and dark. Now, with the last one, we would say, yes, if we were referring to the sun in the sky and the earth that we live on. We know that the earth orbits the sun, which results in day and night, light and dark and without the sun, is it fair to say that there wouldn't be life on Earth at all? I find it fascinating that if the sun was a tiny bit closer to the Earth, us as a human race wouldn't be able to survive, as it would be too hot. All the water would be dried up, which means no food would grow for us to eat, Water wouldn't be there to drink, and then in turn the trees wouldn't survive to keep, take our carbon dioxide we breathe out to exchange it for oxygen that we breathe in to survive. If we go to the other end of the spectrum and the sun was a tiny bit further away from the Earth, it would be too cold for us to survive as a human race. Funnily enough, the sun's distance is just perfect for life here on Earth. Just ask David Attenborough. Or if he's too busy, Brian Cox is a good shout. And then everything on Earth, there's perfect order and meaning. It's like someone had created the Earth. I guess that's why we don't live on other planets, and our solar system is like Mercury and Pluto. But that same order of meaning in creation of this vast universe, our solar system and planet Earth, is also found in our very own bodies. I'm not saying we have many planets orbiting around in body, our bodies, but what I am saying is that our... <laughs> what I am saying is that our um, very own bodies, we have trillions of cells and atoms moving around, which physically make up who we are. On a microscopic levels, inside our body, it is as vast as the universe. Anyone who studies biology or teaches biology, physics or even quantum physics would know how amazing our bodies are and the universe are. Such order and meaning in life, like I said, it was like we're created. But despite this clear evidence of a creator, there's some people who don't believe in God at all, but do believe in the universe that he has created. Some people give honor and glory to the universe itself instead of the loving God who created it. It's like glorifying a magnificent painting by thinking how amazing the painting is and believing that it created itself without even acknowledging the painter who painted it. I guess that's how God can be with us and his universe that he created. Some people think that if God did create the whole universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, to name but a few, that these things are so big that God must be even bigger and that because of that we can feel so small and insignificant in the world that we live in today. Yes, God is bigger, but in my humble opinion, it magnifies God's personal unique love he has for you, each and every one of you. Yes, while God is great, mighty, full of holy majesty, creating the heavens and the earth, all that are seen and unseen, he still loves you and says that you are significant. You are so special and he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Psalm 1 through 9, verses 13 to 14 says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Despite this clear uh, clear order and meaning, there is disorder raging in our world at the very same time. Okay, so I want to start right from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole of Genesis. I've only give him 15 minutes, and time's not an issue now. Um, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we can see right from the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was right there at the start of life itself. Then at the end of Genesis chapter one, God announces he wants to create his very best creation last. Something which will really reflect himself as creator, the very pinnacle of creation. Something more special than anything else he also created. He created man and woman, you and me. Genesis one, verses 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It's all gone already from my understanding here as god is our creator he has already created the heavens and the earth all that we see and don't see for us to be made in his image he wants his own personal stamp on each and every one of us god's very own dna as part of us it would be another sermon entirely to talk about god the holy trinity but just quickly as god refers to creating us in our image in the plural form I believe, firstly, as God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are many similarities by which we reflect his image, but for sake of the time, I'd like to quickly just point out two. The first one, God is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are in perfect unison and relationship with one another, and I believe that is one of the ways he wanted us as a human race to, um, to reflect his being in relationship With each other through love. As it says in 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. And in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because God first loved us. Let that just sink in for a moment. Think of all the people you really love. I know the people I really love. Your wife, your husband your daughter, your son, your granddaughter, your grandson, your mum, your dad, your sister, your brother, your nan, your granddad, and many more, I'm sure, but we only love because God first loved us. Okay, I've gone off one already. The second similarity is that we are not God, but we are made in his likeness. Do you think that the fact we are made up of three parts ourselves, as in the body and the soul and the spirit, is a coincidence? I think not. I'd actually call it a God incidence, as it clearly reflects that we are made in his image. And finally, from Genesis chapter 3, which is the fall of man and how sin entered the world through the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. As I explained earlier, God is love. The reason he created Adam and Eve for himself and each other is not just so that they can only love each other. As I said in Genesis 1, verses 28, be fruitful and multiply, as from that love for each other to then join in sexual union, become one flesh, and have lots of children to carry on God's love through them and through creation, but for them, for us, to love God in return. God didn't create us to be robots and be forced to love him, as that wouldn't be love at all. He gave us all free will to choose love, and in hope to choose to love him in return. So in Genesis chapter 3, to encompass all this, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve that choice with their own free will, as he created beings, which would either be for what God intended for creating them, to live in fullness of life and love, being one with God forever. or reject that fullness of life and love with Him forever. This is all reflected in the choice between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me quickly explain that there's still so much more God wants me to say. So the Garden of Eden is the first place on earth God chose for them to exist in complete perfection and harmony with Himself and each other. But in order for that relationship to continue, there was one rule for them not to break. As I mentioned earlier, this is God through His love for us, giving them the opportunity to choose with their own free will. So in the Garden of Eden, there were so many beautiful trees and they were allowed to eat from. And in the middle were the two most important trees of them all, as it explains in Genesis 2, verses 9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis two verses fifteen to seventeen it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work with it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you will surely die. This is not just physical death, but spiritual death too. Now, the final part of Genesis I would like to read from is Genesis 3, verses one to six, as this is where sin entered the world, and along with it, like I touched on earlier, so did evil, hate, and darkness. Now, the serpent was crafty. Uh, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the trees that are in the middle of the garden, as you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit the tree was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So, they sewed leaves together and made coverings for themselves. From that moment on, they felt shame, insecure, and fearful, just to name a few. And as a result, they were banished from the Garden of Eden and were now not allowed access to the Tree of Life. I know what you're thinking, Ian. Come on, we come to hear about Acts. Why are you going on about Jennifer? Stay with me as it all links together, I promise, as I know it's a lot to take in, but it will be worth it. So, we have God giving them everything they need with the clear instruction not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which at that point meant they had full access to the tree of life. But when they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as a consequence, not only did they get banished from the Garden of Eden, but they were not allowed access to that tree of life. Yes, Eve was tempted, but it was only became sin when she chose to follow through with her actions to eat from it. So, who is the serpent that tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit against God's wishes Disguised as a crafty serpent, Satan came to tempt Eve. Satan at one time was an angel who rebelled against God and was thrown out of heaven. As a created being, Satan had definite limitations. He doesn't have an original idea, he just twists and perverts God's plans for our lives by tempting us. Satan tempted Eve by getting her to doubt God's goodness. He implied that God was strict, stingy and selfish not wanting for Eve to share in his knowledge of good and evil. Satan made Eve forget all that God has given her and instead focus on the one thing she couldn't have. Does that sound familiar? Do we still do that now? This is where it all started, right here in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says in Luke 10, verses 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. What caused Satan to be cast from heaven? He fell because of his pride, originate from his desire to be God instead of a servant of God. Satan was the highest of all angels, but he wasn't happy. Just like us, he wanted what he couldn't have. In the same way that he tempted Eve, he desired to be God and rule the universe. God cast Satan out of heaven as a fallen angel, just like He cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Can you see the similarities? As Christians, we believe Satan acts as the leader of the fallen angels, a third of all God's angels, to be exact. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, deceiving humans, just as he deceived Eve in the beginning. Has anyone seen the film The Lord of the Rings? I know my mum has, yeah. Um, The Lord of the Rings. In The Lord of the Rings, there's good and evil, love and hate, light and darkness. The location this all takes place in the film is called Middle Earth. I kind of see this world we live in now as Middle Earth. As in the sense there are clearly two spiritual forces at work in the world we live in today. And if we strip everything back, it goes right back to the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1. To explain this, let's go to Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are all in the middle of a spiritual battle between God's kingdom of light and Satan's opposing kingdom of darkness, with God's angels and Satan's fallen angels, also known as demons. Okay, so trying to tie all this together, my three points from the beginning. One, believe in the Lord Jesus that he is the Son of God. Number two, receive the Holy Spirit. Number three, retrieve the lost for God's kingdom. One of the most famous Bible verses in the whole Bible, John 3, verse 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he did not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love the darkness instead of light and will not come to the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. How do we do this? Through God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior. Who do we need saving from? We need saving from ourselves and our enemy, Satan. Darkness isn't an entity in itself. It's just the absence of light, and that absence of light will echo into all eternity based on our choices right now. If heaven is to be in a full presence of our loving God for all eternity, then hell is to be the complete opposite for all eternity, as hell would be not only the absence of light, but also love itself, as God is love. We all have a choice, but our choices, whether good or bad, not only have a present consequence, but also an eternal consequence too. So why did Jesus, who knew no sin and committed no sin, die on the cross? to take all our mistakes, past, present, and future, to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father back to our original relationship with Him like it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden, and deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light for all of eternity. I love this scripture from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. Let's have a moment just to be still and reflect, as I know there has been a lot to take in. I believe if we take our minds off all the distractions from this world, and I think we can all agree there are many and it's only getting worse, and one device sums them all up, the iPhone. Deep down, I think we all know that this life is not the end. That when we die, we will live on just as God said in Scripture that I've just read to you all. So in closing, how do we change the world in the power of the Holy Spirit? The same Spirit that was hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. The very same Spirit that wants to be reconnected with your Spirit. Yearning for love, for significance. Yearning for an eternity in heaven with their Creator. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. On my 35th birthday last year, I spent the day at a Christian retreat. How times have changed from when I was younger. (laughs) I came across this paragraph, which I think is amazing. Look at the cross. We've got a cross here today. If love could have gone further than death, our Savior would have done more. Well, there's nothing more Jesus can do to get our attention, we have to choose to give our life to him. It's the only way to heaven. John 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There can only be one truth, but there can also be many lies to oppose this truth. Jesus is that truth. Believe in him and not the devil's lies, as there are so many. The truth sets you free, I promise, Jesus sets you free. You can't see the whole staircase. You just have to take that step of faith. Don't let fear stop you, as fear is the opposite of faith, and that is not of God. Follow your heart and not your head. Another quote for you, the greatest deception the devil ever achieved was to convince people that he does not exist. The enemy will do anything in his limited power to stop people to come in to know the Lord Jesus. I could give you so many examples, but I simply don't have that much time on this occasion. When we receive Jesus into our life, or put another way, him receiving us into his life, we are guaranteed his Holy Spirit, which not only connects with our spirit, but it's a down payment or a deposit which guarantees our place in heaven as nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. In turn, the Holy Spirit helps us, turns our life around like Paul in Acts, like Jesus' disciples, like the church today to retrieve the lost. Who are the lost people? Those who are broken and don't know how special they are, that they were created to love and be loved by God and to take that love throughout the whole world and into all of eternity. I told you it was the underpinning of the whole Christian faith. I hope I've done it justice for our just God. To end, I would like to show you a quick clip up on the big screen from one of my children's favorite films at the moment, Back to the Future. So what I've ended on this clip, like in this film, I think it has similarities to the whole of what I've covered today. The timeline at the top represents our original, eternal timeline with God by Eve eating from that forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, our relationship with God was broken in the same way we are plunged into an alternative reality that we found ourselves in now. The only way back to our original timeline and relationship with God is through accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, so we can receive the Holy Spirit, and retrieve the lost in turn to change the world. So in closing, here are three pictures I would like to show you to highlight the choice you all have here today. The first is a picture of Jesus representing the door of your heart, but the handle to the door is on the inside. So you have to open it to let him in to receive his love and grace into your life. The second picture is a picture of Jesus walking on water and helping someone up who is drowning in the struggles of this life. The third and final picture is a picture of a heart with a cross-shaped puzzle piece missing. We all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. The 25 years I did until I accepted Jesus into my life as my Lord and Saviour. On the 14th of December 2008, I chose to stand up, repent and give my life to Christ. When some people respond to Jesus for the very first time, they can have an instant realisation that he is real and that Jesus is the Son of God, but for me, I didn't. It was only once I stood up, I made the choice to repent. To believe and receive and my life has never and will never be the same again it only seems fitting to end tonight with a piece of scripture from the apostle paul himself talking about jesus to the colossian church and in the niv version of the bible it's titled the supremacy of christ it's colossians 1 verses 15 to 23 he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are whole together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from god and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his height without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in faith establish and firm not move from the hope held in this gospel This is a gospel that you heard and that you have been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and earth, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. For more information about St. Saviour's please visit our website ww.stavioursumbray.org.uk.